It's the very words of God. Um, they're the words what, uh, from God. He, it's what He wants us to hear. It's what we need to live before Him and to have true life. So we as a church love to feature God's Word as an important part of what we do as a church. So we're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 11-13. through 13. Um, We're in a transition point in the letter. But before we read and move from there, um, let me ask you, have you ever thought about what goes into greeting cards? Uh, I don't know if you you probably have done what I've done many times, gone to look for a a card at the store uh, to say something like, you know, congratulations or happy birthday or thank you and spent time going through all those cards and trying to find one that says just what you want. I, uh, I think we've all done that. And actually, the greeting card industry is, is a big deal. Just the Hallmark alone is a $3.8 billion company that produces 10,000 cards a year. Uh, and it's interesting, I, I did a little research, there are people that their, their job basically is to write those cards, to come up with the sayings, and they spend a lot of time doing it. They work really hard. Uh, there are, are 24 people for Hallmark whose job is just to write those cards, and that's what they do. They get paid like $70,000 a year to write greeting cards and to come up with things that are, you know, helpful. They actually study. They do, um, they, they study things like uh, the grieving process to know how to write sympathy cards. And, and they, they put a lot of effort into coming up with a card that says just the right thing. And, and, uh, and even so, I know it's still hard for me often to find the right card. Why do I say all this? Well, it's interesting in and of itself, but this passage, this section in 1 Thessalonians is really Paul's, if he had to write a greeting card to the Thessalonians, this paragraph would contain the same. Uh, it, it's really his wishes for the Thessalonians. And this paragraph is here in this letter because Paul is transitioning from the first part of the letter where he is encouraging them and reminding them of, of how God has been at work in their lives. Uh, he's he's helping them understand why he's not been able to be there, and he's communicating his love for them. So that's kind of what's going on in the first part. So it's it's a lot of encouragement. It's a lot of of just pointing to them, pointing God uh, out to them, and and so forth. And now he's transitioning into the second part of the letter. So the first part we can just say is on encouragement. The second part of the letter is exhortation. So it's, guys, in light of this new life you have in Christ, here's how you should live. And so we're going to get into that as, as we continue in this series. But this paragraph is a transition. And in that transition, Paul wants them to know in kind of greeting card format, his heart for them. And so all that he has said before and all that he's going to say actually gets summed up in this paragraph. And so we're going to dig into it and learn uh, from this just more about the Christian life, more about Paul's heart, uh, more, more about living and following Jesus. So let's pray. Then we'll take a look, Uh, we'll read the Scripture and go from there. So Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this paragraph in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, This isn't just a a cool idea to study. This is Your Word, and it's Your Word to us today. You know our hearts. You know how our weeks have been. You know how our weeks are going to be next week. And You, because of Your goodness and graciousness, have designed this time together before Your Word. So I pray You'd help us to hear from You. I pray, Lord, uh, You'd help me. Lord, it's a daunting challenge to serve You and Your precious people uh, and Your desire to touch uh, people who don't know You yet. Uh, Lord, I need Your help. And so uh, help me. Help me to serve You, Lord. Help me to represent You and, and teach Your Word, proclaim it. 
And that as a result, we could know you better. We could be freshly encouraged and equipped to walk with you this week and to represent you uh, to those in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm going to start in verse 11, chapter 3. It says, Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. God's Word from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Again, this is a summation kind of everything that he's been saying and what he's going to say. And in the first sentence, now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. We've covered this kind of in previous messages. Paul's heart his desire to be with them. And we know that that desire has been frustrated. It actually was frustrated uh, by persecution. Paul identifies Satan as behind the reason that he wasn't able to rejoin them. And so he trusts the Lord. He prays that they might get together again. And we learned uh, in previous messages that that looks like indeed what happened as we look in the book of Acts. And as Paul has a, a Thessalonian with him and he goes through that area of, of Europe um, it looks like God grants His prayer. And this is His heart. And so we spent time talking about this. And, and the kind of summation of, of what to learn from there is that when you have the love of Christ in your heart, you desire to be with His people. Uh, and Paul desired to be with the Thessalonians and they with Him. And it's just a natural part of the love of Christ in us. It, it fills us up with knowing His love for us, but that love doesn't stagnate. It goes out to others. And part of how we express that love is wanting to be with His people. Uh, so a, a natural and, and even necessary part of Christianity is that we would be with others. We would love to be with others. And so I talked about that. And, and I think we need to just to wrestle with that, that truth, that an isolated Christian is a living contradiction. Uh, and yet, some of us struggle with this. So we need to go to the Lord. Lord, forgive me for not wanting to be with others. Heal me of the things, uh, the, the, the things that I maybe feel and think that keep me from being with others. If there's bitterness... Forgive me and rescue me from that. Uh, if there are other barriers, help me to overcome that because this is what we're called to. And certainly could preach a whole other message just on that, that point from that first verse, verse 11. But given that we've done a couple of messages on that already, I'm going to move on quickly to verse 12 and what Paul says in verse 12. As you look at verse 12, he says, um, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Paul's gonna, he's praying, he's wishing that they would increase and abound in love for one another and for all. And we're going to talk about what that means. But before we get there, before we get to the idea of increasing and abounding in love and what love for one another and for all looks like, I think we need to be really careful to see where it all starts. As Paul says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love, where does he ground this increase in abounding in love for one another and for all. Where is where's the foundation in, this, in what he says in the sentence and, and really what the whole Bible says about where love for one another comes from? Does Paul ground it in self-effort? Um, although self-effort is needed if we're going to love one another. Does he ground it in a sense of duty? And duty is appropriate. Does he ground it in a sense of obligation? And we certainly are obliged to love given God's love for us. 
Does he uh, ground it in the promise of the blessings that flow from it? Though there are many blessings that, that flow from love. Those are all the things that he could ground it in. Those are all things that are perhaps uh, motivations for love. But he doesn't ground it in any of those things. Where does he ground this love? Where does it come from? It says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. The, the ground of this increasing and overflowing love is in God Himself. It's in uh, our triune God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the place of where the love comes from. That's the ground. That's the basis. That's the source. And it's important that we don't miss that. That we don't just simply move on and think, well, how should we love one another? And how should we love those who uh, don't yet belong to Jesus? The, before we get there, we need to see that the source of the love is God Himself. Uh, if you don't have a source, you don't have a supply. So if you're going to seek to love one another and, and love those who don't yet know Christ, you're not going to get anywhere if you don't have a source you tap into. And the source here is God Himself. God is love. The, the virtue of love is so uh, characteristic of God, so essential to who He is and His character that, that John says in 1 John 4.8, God is love. Now, God is other things too, and we could talk about that, but He is love. This is who He is. It's who He is and who He has always been. It isn't a new idea that He came up with along the way because, you know, just somehow I guess I ought to love people. No, it comes from His eternal character, His eternal nature. His love comes from His, His love among the Trinity that has always existed and will always exist. It's an infinite, glorious, perfect love beyond imagination. That, that is in God and has always been there. And out of that love comes His love for us. Out of that love comes a lot of things. He is the eternal, infinite source of love. And so Paul is right to say, may God make you increase and abound in love. He has loved us first, the Scripture says. And He's loved us when we were not and are not very lovable. That's important to understand. His love is, is of such a nature and that it, it overcomes and overwhelms us in our sin and in our faults and in our shortcomings. It's amazing to think of God's love. It's that great that it, that it overcomes. Because natural love uh, loves someone else for kind of their virtue. You know, they're, boy, I, I love this person because they're just so kind. That's, we typically say things like that. It's not necessarily wrong to say that. Um, or we love because there's a mutual interest. So familiar love, this is my child, and you know, there's a connection here. So I love that child. There's a, this mutual interest. But, but God's love actually um, is there despite the lack of those things. And actually, even more than that, it's not just the lack of mutual interest and the lack of virtue. It's, it's the opposite. There's evil in us. There's rebellion in us. And, and, and there's opposition to God. So it's not just lack of mutual interest. It's actually opposition. We, we don't want God to be on the throne in our natural state. And yet, God loves us. Romans 5 says it this way, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His, lo shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in verse 10, it says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. 
His love comes to us and visits us in a place where we are enemies, natural enemies of God, and opposed to Him. His love is that great. Uh, he says elsewhere in 1 John 4.10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In His great love for us, He determined to rescue us from our rebellion against Him. To, to rescue us from our offense and our alienation from Him. He loved us with this amazing love that was so full, so glorious, that He Himself came and lived as a man, was born as a humble baby in a manger, placed in a manger in a stable, living in humility, living to serve others, living to love God the Father perfectly. And then that righteous, beautiful life was laid down voluntarily by Jesus for our sake. To be the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word we don't really use. It means to a, a, an offering that puts away wrath. And in the case of God, it's, it's not just a, a fly-off-the-handle sort of wrath. It's a, it's a resolute commitment to hate evil. That's what His wrath is. It, it's not just capriciousness and uh, something like that. It, it's, it's purposeful, principled commitment to hate evil. The sad reality, guys, is in and of ourselves, we are evil. There's good in us and we're made in His image. I'm not denying that. But there's this insanity that's in all our hearts and it's hard to explain. But there's just this rebellion that's there. That's part of who we are. Where we turn away from what we know is right and good. And we do what we know we shouldn't do. And really, in many ways, that, that rebellion drives us. and Drives us to form our lives apart from God. To not depend on Him. To be um, maybe just in full rebellion doing things that are destructive and we know that are destructive. Giving ourselves to uh, substance abuse that ruins our lives and ruins our families. Or it could be the sort of rebellion that looks really good. Your rebellion is you're trying to be a self-made person. You're trying to be uh, acceptable. And you're trying to feel good about yourselves and be upright and have others regard you that way. And maybe even you're thinking if you're good, quite good enough, God will have to accept you as good and welcome you into His heaven. That's just as rebellious as the other side because you're, you're doing all that on your own terms. Your way. And that's part of this insanity that's in us. It's, an, it's a rebellion against God. A lack of looking to Him and trusting in Him and depending on Him and delighting in Him and loving Him as, as He has loved us. And He, yes, indeed does love all of humanity. And so in His great love for us, He comes on a rescue mission. He becomes a human being and He lives this beautiful, glorious life and then offers up that life as an offering to pay for our sins. It's a propitiation for our sins. He sheds His blood. He dies on the cross bearing our sins and then rises again on the third day because the Father, in cooperation with the Son, all God the Father, God the Son, approves of what He's done. It is finished on the cross and so He raises Him from the dead victorious over sin and death. Jesus pays the ransom to rescue us from our captivity to our evil and rebellion. It's amazing. And, and, and this whole plan comes out of God, our triune God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't understand how it works. He is one God and yet three persons. There's no analogy that works. The clover doesn't work. Uh, steam, water, and ice doesn't work. We can't fully explain it, but we know it is. And God in His triune goodness and love and this eternal love determined to rescue us so the Father 
looks at us through time and says, I want this one and I want this one. I want to rescue this. I want to rescue this countless number. We learn in Revelation. It's a, you cannot count the number of people he's determined to rescue. So the son volunteers and becomes a human being and pays the ransom, lives a righteous life, dies, and, and then is raised to life. And the Holy Spirit then takes this good news of, of what Jesus has done, the, even at this moment perhaps, this good news, and brings it home to our hearts where we say, I get it, and I want it. And, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we turn away and trust. That's all from God's love. It's all from the infinite love of God. And He's loved us from before time. This love is eternal and it's infinite. And it's offered freely to any and all who would come. As I shared from John 5, 24, it's whoever. It's offered to whoever. And if you come to Him and, and put your faith in Him, you can know that He has loved you from eternity with this infinite overflowing, glorious love that we're only beginning to get to know. And so Paul wants us to understand, God wants us to understand that this love that we're to increase in and overflow in comes from God. That's the ground of our faith. That's the ground of our confidence. That's the ground of the Christian life. It's who God is. It's His love. And it's putting our trust in Him and resting in that and living out of that. And so before there's any call to particular action, which Paul's going to get into, actually. He gets into it in this paragraph. He's going to get into it in the rest of the letter. Before there's a call, there's a source of this love that leads to all these other things. And that source is God Himself. And Paul wishes and prays that the Lord would make you increase and abound in love. Increase and abound. These, these words actually are, are kind of overlapping words, but it's the idea of increasing or filling, being filled up, and then abound. It's going beyond being filled up. It's overflowing is another way to translate it. So his wish and his prayer and his expectation, by the way, because we're going to get into uh, where he's going with this. This isn't just a, a card like a nice saying card, like here, maybe someday you'll increase and abound and maybe you'll do that. No, his expectation is that you will because he's going to go on in the rest of the letter and, and spell out what it looks like, how you actually live out this love with, with specific things. And, and so he's wishing and praying and expecting that, that the Lord's love would fill you up to the top and then overflow in your life. That, in a sense, is the normal Christian life. To be filled and to overflow. So picture your little half-pint-size cup representing your life, holding it, and God taking a cosmic, you know, light-year-size pitcher of His infinite love that actually doesn't even contain His infinite love and pouring into your cup filling that cup to the max of your capacity to, to grasp and understand and experience and then actually keep on pouring it overflows from your life to others, to one another and to all, is what Paul says. That's, what, that's a picture of what Paul is praying and wishing and expecting. And this comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. It, it, we can read in Romans 5.5, 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's, it's something that is, if you're a believer, you've already experienced the love because you know 
as the good news is explained, as the Holy Spirit works in your life, you realize, you come to realize, even if it just feels like I'm just barely getting it, you know God loves you because you've heard the gospel. You know that Christ has come for you. You put your faith in Him. He's been poured out in your heart already. It's a past tense, but it's also a future expectation. That's, that's what Paul's saying here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is to be the normal Christian life. And, um, D.L. Moody is a man that maybe some of you know. He's uh, a Massachusetts boy, lived back in the uh, late 1800s, and was used of God to lead really millions of people to Christ and to really change the landscape of our country and even to be used overseas in, in these ways. What you may not know about him is that he struggled uh, with wanting to be filled with more of God and actually, um, there were some women in his church who prayed for him and persisted in asking God to pour out power. And he had an encounter in November of 1871 um, where he was in New York City trying to raise funds after the Chicago fire. And God just met him in power with a revelation of his love. Moody says this, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say that God was revealed to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience. If you should give me all the world, it would be small dust in the balance. He experienced what Paul prayed for the Thessalonians. He had already experienced the love of God, but he experienced it beyond what he initially experienced. God revealed the love he had to Moody and changed his life, and then that love overflowed, didn't it, in his life, leading really millions, I believe, to Christ as a result. Brother and sister, this is not exceptional. This is, this is for normal people in the Thessalonian church, that they would live this way, that they would have that love poured into their hearts, that they would have their vessel filled and overflowing. It's normal Christianity. And so what do we do with that? Let's not doubt. Let's ask. Oh God, fill my heart. Let's get up every day. Lord, today I need you to fill my heart up with your love. I can't do this on my own. I need you to fill me up, and I need you to overflow because I am called to love others. I'm called to love those around me. I'm called to love my family, and in and of myself, I can't do it. So, Lord, please, today, make me be filled and overflowing with your love. Now, he may give us dosages like D.L. Moody, or he may just give us a little bit of dose compared to that. That's up to him. But let's ask, God, fill my heart. I need you. Fill my heart with your love. Help me to know your love. Be filled up and help me to overflow that I can now love others. Because there's a direction to this love, isn't there? My second point, it's to overflow in love for each other. Paul is wishing and praying and, and writing so that their love would be, they would be filled and overflowing to love for one another and for all. So there's a direction. Love is never actually meant to just be inward. It's, we're not to be a, a black hole of, of you know, consuming love. That's not how love works, actually. When love fills us, it always over, goes outward. It's always flowing out, and, and Paul captures that in the idea of being filled and overflowing. It, there's a direction. We're to be filled up and overflowing to, to others. It is directed outward to love others. So the love of God fills up the believer to, to first 
touch their brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a priority in how this love works. That's important to get. There are some who, who are so filled with the love of God for those who don't know Christ. It's wonderful, and I take great encouragement from their examples, but sometimes I hear from those people not a whole lot of love from their brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't work that way. It fills us up, and it first touches our brothers and sisters in great love for them, and then flows out from all of us, of course, beyond the church. And we see this throughout Scripture. I, I, I think of one example of that is, is where Peter is reconciled to Jesus. Peter had denied Jesus three times. It's a wonderful story uh, of reconciliation in John 21. Um, just masterful work of Christ, uh, of course. But as he interacts with Peter, um, he asks Peter, Simon's son, John, do you love me? And Peter says, eventually, after he asks three times, he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter is no longer this self-sufficient, I love you more than anybody else. He realizes that he's dependent on the Lord. The Lord knows his heart. The Lord, is, I think, is what he's saying in there, too, is even, you've given me this heart. You've given this love in my heart for you. I, I love you, Lord. And so he says it three times, reaffirms it in dependence, really, versus in self-reliance, and that's part of the restoration. But what does Jesus say after Peter says, I love you? Oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad you're filled up. Go and, and live in that. No, he says, feed my sheep. Peter, if you love me, if this love is filling your heart, then you automatically and naturally and in your particular call as a leader in the church are to feed my sheep. My love flows in you, fills you up and out to my precious people whom I love so much. He has loved us with an everlasting love. He has shed His blood for us. He loves us that much. And so if we're full of His love, we will love others. And we are to ask Him for this. His love is great. His love overcomes the barriers. Certainly there are barriers, guys, to loving other people. We're not often that lovely or lovable, right? I mean, we struggle. We're imperfect. We do things that are just goofy and awkward. We all have idiosyncrasies. And if you get to know someone, you're going to find those, right? I mean, it's just a fable that there is such thing as a normal person. There are no more normal people. And if you get to know people, you're going to find out they're not normal. And there are things in their life that make it hard maybe to love them. And some of us, maybe that may seem more obvious at times. But there are barriers for all of us. But love covers a multitude of sins, Peter says in 1 Peter 4. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. God's love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, certainly there are sins we need to address, but there's a multitude of sins we don't need to address. They need to simply be covered by love. Um, I don't know if you've ever made a, a sandcastle on the beach in, in hope that somehow it might endure the tide. Uh, have you ever done that uh, when we, the kids were little? Uh, we would make sandcastles. I can remember one time, actually, we made this humongous sandcastle. Like, we had shovels and everything, and we built, like, three levels of walls and a central sandcastle. And the, and the tide started to come in, and the kids, actually all the kids and their cousins, were trying to somehow protect the sandcastle. But the tide just came in and consumed the sandcastle, and when it went back out, there was no trace. I think it's a picture of the love of God. The picture of the love of God is that mighty ocean. It's, it's vast. It's powerful. And the barriers, the things that might be barriers to his loves are really sandcastles in the way. And if we are living in the love of God, the tide will come in and just wipe that stuff out. We'll overlook it. We'll love each other. We'll bear with each other. 
That's what we're called to. We're called to love each other in that way, with that sort of love. That's the love of God. It, it fills us up and it overwhelms us so that we can turn and love each other even in our imperfections. Dr. Dr. Richard Seltzer tells the story about this sort of love. He says, I stand by the hospital bed where a young woman lies. Her face post-operative. Her mouth twisted in a palsy, clownish smirk. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, had been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they? I ask myself. He and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at and touch each other so generously and greedily. The young woman says, will my mouth always be like this? Yes, I say, it will. It's because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent, but the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter like this. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth, and I am so close I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers, to show her that their kiss still works. That's a picture of the love of God. That's a picture of the sort of love that he gives to us. That when there's an imperfection, when there's a lack, we don't look at it in the way that the world does, but we look at it with love and we overcome that imperfection. And brothers and sisters, that's the love of God. That's what we're called to. That's, the, that's what Paul's talking about here, to be filled up and to overflow with his love that we turn around and love each other deeply, even in our struggles and imperfections and even in our sins. Love covers a multitude of Sin. So, let me ask you, who in your life is hard to love? What fellow believer for you is hard to love? Take that to the Lord. Ask Him to help you. Ask Him to forgive you for not loving like He does. Ask Him to fill you with His love. Live in His love for you. Know that He has forgiven you in Christ. He's paid such an enormous price for your forgiveness so that you could live in that love and have His power to turn around and love others. So it, He is there for you. He is all for you. So come to Him and ask Him to help you to love. And then begin to love. Begin to take steps of loving others. This love also is to flow, overflow in love for all. It doesn't just go to our brothers and sisters, but of course, it goes and flows out onto the streets. We see that. We see that in the love of Christ. We spent time recently going through Luke chapter 15, and where the, the love of the Father is described by Jesus in his teaching. Such a wonderful uh, chapter in Scripture. We see the Father's love expressed like a shepherd 
running after the one lost sheep, leaving the 99 safe sheep. Like a homemaker vigorously sweeping in that culture what would have been a, a hardened dirt floor probably with hay and other things, vigorously sweeping it to somehow find that coin she treasured, and then a dignified dad running through the streets with joy to welcome back a rebellious lost son who had broken his heart. That's a picture of the love of the father for those who are lost, who don't know that love, who are not living as his people. And Jesus lived this out in his life. We see it in so many ways. We see it with this Samaritan woman. His disciples were perplexed. Why are you spending time with, with this woman? This woman who is, is a Samaritan. It's a woman in the culture that day. You didn't do that. And she's, she's got a bad reputation. And Jesus said, you, you, don't have, you don't understand. I have food to eat that you don't know about. My food is to see lost people come to know the Father's love, to come to Him. That's what I live for more than ordinary food. And this is, this is Jesus. This is who He is. And so, guys, when we know His love, it causes us to have that same love as well. I recently heard a pastor who is in New England, um, and his church is reaching thousands of people. It's very encouraging. He said this, that the closer you get to Jesus, the more you love those furthest from Him. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you love those furthest from Him. It's because of His love. It's because of Him. It's not because of you. The closer you get to His love, the more you're filled with His love, the more you love those furthest from Him. And, and so for us as a church, this is why we do some of the things we do. We are to love others in just our regular routine lives during the week, but also as a church in what we do in terms of the, the efforts that we have. So the Santa parade, that's what we're doing, guys. We're just going out there. And we're just loving on our city. Just, it, what other opportunities do you have to just to bless like 10,000 people in, in an hour? That's what we do. Uh, and we're also doing the additional thing this year of, of, of having, uh, welcoming them afterwards to come because it has a the theme of the movie. Here's a chance just to have them come and bless them and, and be with us. So I just encourage you to be part of that. Also want to let you know that starting in January, January 10th, we're rebooting the Alpha program. Uh, Alpha has been used successfully for us as a church and across the world, actually, to lead millions of people to faith in Jesus. It's, it's a wonderful program, very simple. It's a meal. It's hanging out together. You get to hear uh, teaching on core Christian truths, uh, either through a video, really well-done video, or a live talk that, w that I've given and we've given. And then you just have an open-ended discussion where you can ask anything. And, and people are just, they... they experience love, they hear truth, and they're, they experience just the acceptance in that group, and they build friendships. And in that context, they encounter Jesus. And Many, many people uh, have their faith renewed, or they come to Christ through Alpha. So January 10th, we're rebooting that. And then, of course, we have our Ladies' Christmas Brunch, a wonderful way to bless people, to share the love of Christ, and an important time of the year, and then our Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services. So, so let me just ask you to consider, and maybe... Uh, to choose to be part of one of these things. Uh, to, to live out this love that fills your heart up and overflows in this specific way. To be part of one of these ministries and to love like Jesus. Finally, and too quickly. <laughs> the fruit here, right? Paul is saying uh, that he's, his request, his desire is that the Lord would make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that, what? So that... He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. The, the result of, of being filled up and overflowing and walking out this love for one another and for others is that you would look like Jesus. And so you would be ready for when he returns. That you would be blameless in holiness. And you may think, okay, well, that's like 
I'd really like to be that, but I know I'm never going to be that. But that's not what Paul means here. Being blameless and being sinless are two different things in Scripture. We're not going to be sinless until we go to see Jesus and be with him and have renewed bodies and our, it's going to be glorious. There will be no more sin. It will be so wonderful. But you can be blameless today. Because blameless in Scripture doesn't mean sinless. And, and, and uh, if you look through Scripture, you see the use of the word blameless. Blameless is somebody who is, is depending on Jesus for their forgiveness, depending on Jesus for fresh help every day to believe and obey in a way that your life reflects that. It's, you're being blameless, it means you, you're, not, you're not liable to blame. And not just like, you know, detailed blame. Like, I know if we look at our hearts, you're going to find something in my heart that's corrupt. I know that for sure. But as you look at someone's life, you see someone depending on Jesus and representing Jesus in their life in a consistent way. That's what blameless in Scripture means. And I just encourage you to look and do a study. Just look at the Psalms. You have psalmists, the same psalmist at times, David, for example, uh, talking about being, I've been blameless before you. And yet, then elsewhere, he's saying, basically, um, you know, blessed is the one whose, whose transgressions are not counted against them. Basically, we've all sinned. So the psalmists represent themselves as sinners who need forgiveness, but also blameless ones. Job is called blameless, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth are blameless. Joseph, others as well, they're called blameless. And, and Paul actually has said already here in this chapter um, that basically we were blameless before you. Is it chapter 2, verse 10, I think? I can't remember where it is. Um, yes, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So Paul's saying, we actually were blameless. It doesn't mean that he was sinless, but, but when they looked at their lives, they saw people trusting in Jesus and walking out obedience in a way that they could not be blamed. It's basically, the difference is not living and giving ourselves to sin. It doesn't mean not struggling, but it means not giving in, not being characterized by a sinful life. That's not blameless. So if we look at your life and we see somebody who's characterized by the pursuit of idols and sin, you're not in a state of blamelessness. And the call for you is to come back to Jesus. Stop looking to that idol. Stop sinning and come to Jesus. Live in the grace and forgiveness you have in Jesus and learn to depend on him each day and live a blameless life. So brothers and sisters, you can be blameless. That's Paul's expectation here. And when you're blameless, you're ready. You're ready for Jesus' return. doesn't mean you're perfect doesn't mean you've earned your way. It's all by grace. Your righteousness before God is by grace alone through faith alone. You're counted righteous in Christ. It's through faith. It's, it's glorious. It's wonderful. So when we belong to him simply by believing in him and receiving what he's done, we're connected to him in such a way that all of our sins are paid for and his righteousness is credited uh, on our behalf. And we stand before God forgiven. That's where we stand. So that's, that is positionally how we stand before God. But we're to walk out that new life. And so this blamelessness is about experiential righteousness. It's about how you live your life. And it's about living free of the blame of denying Christ with your lifestyle. Um, and if you have questions on this, please talk to me. I'd love to, to explain it more. I just don't have the time to get into all the, the scriptures I had here, often so unrealistic in how much I prepare. But, um, but it's important to get. Paul's expectation is that they would be blameless. And what he's going to uh, do now in the rest of the letter, Toby will be preaching next week in chapter 4, is spelling that out. This is what blamelessness looks like when you live these ways. And so, guys, when we depend on the love of God and it fills us up, it creates in us Christ-likeness. And the result of that is that we look like Jesus and we're ready if he should come tomorrow. We're in that place of being ready. We know that our lives have 
been well spent by His grace as best as we reasonably can if the banker come up as we close. So let me just ask you right now to take a moment and just ask the Lord to help you. As I look at your, uh, at your lives, by the way, I see people that are blameless. I see people who are following Jesus. There are struggles here and there, and there may be some of you who you're not living a blameless life right now, and we want to help you with that. But let us do all the more by his love, love one another, and love those around us who don't know Christ. So just take a moment, and I'm sure for all of us we can think of people we're not loving like we ought, ways we're not loving those around us like we ought. Let's just ask the Lord for help. Ask the Lord to fill you with his love and fill you to overflowing. Take a minute to pray, and then Toby will lead us.